My name is Barbara Cleave and I play Maura Laverty in this play. Hashtag Maura Laverty, This Was Your Life. I'm also the co-writer with Yvonne Quinn. My name is Joan Sheehy and I play the mother in this play. So Maura was born in 1907 and she died in 1966. So I would have first become aware of her when I was a child because my mother had a cookery book by Maura Laverty called Full and Plenty. I think every home in Ireland had it because she was kind of Ireland's first celebrity chef. And what was unusual about that cookery book is that every sort of chapter of recipes would start off with a little story. So when my mother was cooking, I'd be sitting down reading the little stories. And I also learned to cook and to bake from recipes that my mother learned from that book. So it was very important to me, you know. But I didn't realise, like, she had a whole other life, you know. She wrote books, but she also wrote Ireland's first soap opera. So she was multi-talented, multifaceted and constantly, constantly writing, churning out scripts. And there weren't teams of script writers on Talcaro when she worked on it first. She was writing plays for The Gate. She was writing her books. She was keeping up her agony and work. She would have been best known, I suppose, for her radio programme in RTE. She had um, her own radio show where she was a cookery advisor and also an agony aunt. I play the mother And I'd have to say she is quite a character. She is the mother who will never give enough. She is tough. She's always challenging Maura. I think feels that Maura has notions, which of course is the worst thing you could possibly have as the as the daughter of an Irish mother. So the mother does her very best to knock the notions out of Maura. But she's um, she's great fun. Like Theatrically, she's great fun to play because she's a big character. She says what she thinks and and she undercuts um, all of Maura's, you know, hopes and plans. And it's not, it. she's not somebody that I would like to spend a lot of time with, but she's a very attractive character to play. That sort of started me thinking, why is this so important? Why is this legacy of this book a mother passing on recipes, but also a bit of herself to her daughter. Why is this missing thing so important? So I, I thought I'd write a play about that and I was going to write a play where there would be live cooking on stage of her recipes. But the more research I did, and I researched for, God, over a year, two years, I'd say, the more I found out about Maura Laverty, I thought, no, this play has to be about her, actually. It's not about my experience, it's about her experience. But strangely enough, it became as well, very importantly, a story of a mother and a daughter. A very different type of mother, a very different type of daughter. Because Maura's relationship with her mother was key to what gave her this drive. You know, the fact that her she always felt her mother loved her other siblings more than her. She was always trying to say, look at me, look what I can do. And I thought that was really interesting. I wouldn't say that she was deliberately airbrushed out of history, but I do think the concerns that she was dealing with in the 50s and 60s were not seen subsequently as that important, as with much of women's work and what would have been seen as women's concerns. She wrote four novels. The f- uh, two of them were sort of very bi- autobiographical. 
One was called Never No More, about her childhood. And then the the follow-up to that, which I think is absolutely wonderful, is called No More Than Human. And it's set in Spain because she went to work there as a, a governess to, a, you know, different families, including a Spanish Marquesa. And that's where she learned sort of her international cooking, if you like. You know, but, but it's a wonderful novel. It's a great description of the time. I think there was a huge fear in Irish society of getting above yourself, getting above your station, having notions, having ideas beyond yourself. And so much of family life and school life was all about keeping that down. You know, oh, oh, what, what, who do you think you are? Like was such, uh, such a common phrase or, you know, you'd be dolling yourself up to go out. Sure, who will be looking at you? You know, like we, we never saw ourselves as Americans here, you know, that you, you took pride in yourself and that you, you complimented each other and all of that and that you, you were doing, you were, you were pushing yourself at all times and you believed you could be president. You know, that, that, that was not the way we thought in Ireland. And, and like woe betide you if you did think like that because you were, you were pushed down. The censorship would have come about as a result of the Censorship Act but also because of the power of the church, generally. I mean, she was writing her novels in the 40s. The other thing that people took great exception to was that she was writing about the poverty in the tenements. So her work has often been compared, say, to Sean O'Casey, because she was writing about what it was really like to live in tenements, you know. And in the early stages of her career, she lived in desperately poor areas herself in very shabby rooms so she knew firsthand what it was like she was married at 21 they would have been moving from shabby rooms in in you know non-salubrious places living near the dump and things like that you know i feel that that all of that came from you know that kind of homogenized society that you don't you you don't stand out you don't draw attention to yourself i think i think some of that comes from that awful shame that was in the irish psyche when you think of what we have come from and how we were trying trying to drag ourselves into some sort of a modern society without really huge role models or um help in any way, particularly from the church or from education. It's I think it's I think it's not surprising that we were like that. Uh, but I th- at the same time, it's very shocking to think of a society so so battered down unnecessarily. I suppose no more than human would be an example. And one of the things that people found offensive was that she referred to breastfeeding. And not just to breastfeeding, but when she was in Spain, there was an ama, a wet nurse in the house for the baby. And when the ba- when she was feeding the baby, she would sometimes, as a game for the little girls that Maura was minding, she would squirt breast milk across the room. And the little girls would have to guess what direction she was going to squirt in and duck to avoid the milk. Now, Maura put that into her book and that was considered outrageous. Breast milk is for feeding babies. It's not for playing games. You know? So things like that, you know. Um, also, she'd have references to girls who got pregnant in a small town in Ireland and got sent off to a Magdalene laundry. She'd have uh, critical things about priests sometimes. Um 
that sort of thing or even a reference to a house of ill repute in a town the size of Rathangan that caused great offence? I think there was definitely a hard instinct there. That feeling of of being being different. And I mean, you can you can see that even since, you know, in so much that we've been through in through referendums and all of that, like that, that feeling of being different was was the worst, one of the worst things you could be in Ireland. You just you, you go along with everybody else. And that's the safest way. Well, I suppose like a whole new strand started for her in 1951 when Hilton Edwards and Michal McLeamer asked her to write a play for The Gate. That was her first time writing a play. And it was actually one of her her banned novels. It was Lift Up Your Gates. But they said they could get around the censors if she changed the name. So she did. She changed the name to Liffey Lane. And that that was a big success. And then almost immediately afterwards, she wrote her second play, which was Talca Row. So that started life as a play. And then she did a third play called A Tree in the Crescent. They got the gate. She Her three plays got the gate out of huge financial troubles. And then she was never properly paid her royalties. But that's another story. But the middle play of those, Talca Row, was probably the most successful at the box office. And Orson Welles came all the way from Italy to see that play because they were interested in possibly filming it at one stage. But of course, the night he came was really exciting because a whole crowd uh, were outside the gate complaining that there was a communist in the building and singing Faith of Our Fathers and throwing bottles and burning cars. It was, you know, it caused huge controversy. And Maura was out at the window with a glass of whiskey singing, we'll keep the red flag flying here, which really helped, as you can imagine. But Talca Rowe, subsequently then, she got a request from RTE Television to turn it into a TV drama series. So it was Ireland's first ever TV soap opera. It was a huge deal. And she was the only scriptwriter for it. Like, unlike nowadays, where, you know, you have so many scriptwriters for a soap opera, she was the sole writer. And it had actors in it like Des Perry, Mae Aulis, Jimmy Bartley, who, of course, is, is, is in Fair City now, and Derry Power, people like that. And it was really... You know, it was really new and she brought in topics. Again, she was kind of causing trouble with the topics she brought in. She had somebody talking about she had too many children and she was using the rhythm method or she was being advised by the Catholic Church to use the rhythm method. And the other, this is May Alice's character and her neighbour says, ah, well, that'd be, that'd be no good with my fella. He has no ear for music. <laughs> she got into terrible trouble over those lines. I'm from Granna, County Limerick, so we didn't have any drama classes or there was no Billy Barry or nothing like that to influence you. I mean, I was brought up in the country, like, so that fills your imagination all the time and, you know, constantly playing and imagining, you know, strange worlds. Uh, So I suppose that probably started things off for me. And then when I went to secondary school, there was, uh, you know, a play it was a play every year. There was like a there. There was uh, some some speech and drama, like kind of very stiff speech and drama now. But uh, but I knew I was responding to this, and particularly you know being in a play, I just loved being in a play. So I always got to play men in the school plays because I had a deeper voice. And um, then when I went to college, I trained as a primary school teacher, but I studied speech and drama in college and that was the end of me. Um, I got into the business because 
I was sent to speech and drama classes when I was about six because I was very shy to get me out of myself. <laughs> and, um, and from there on then, I used to love school plays and after that, I, I actually trained to be a teacher and also to be a speech and drama teacher. But all my spare time was actually um, doing plays, amateur plays or directing children in plays. I'm working with people like Joan Sheehy, who I met when I was training to be a teacher. And the two of us decided we would give up teaching at the same time. And we came to Dublin together and the rest, as they say, is history. We just started auditioning for plays. And we're still doing it, you know, but I would have started as an actor very much. And then as I got more and more involved, I got really interested in other aspects of theatre, like directing and writing. So I kind of loved them all, really. Yeah, I came to Dublin in my early 20s and I just so wanted, wanted to have a go. Like I thought, I thought everything would happen very quickly, like that, uh, that you do an audition or two, you'd be spotted and uh, and from it, it would be, um, you know, from there to Hollywood, really, within a couple of years. I suppose it was it, it was something that was in me. You know, I had there's um there's some there's some performance streak in me that even as a child was in me. Uh, like a, I didn't have drama classes or I didn't have, you know, a Billy Barry school or nothing like that. But just just in, in my own personality, I think there is a there's an, an urge to perform and to tell stories. The business has been very good to me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a I'm a jobbing actor, writer, director. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um I would not complain about the life I've had. I think it's been really varied. I love theater more than anything. I enjoy film, I enjoy TV, I enjoy radio, but theater is really the thing I love best. I suppose I love the fact that you can go out there, you can do the play in sequence from beginning to end. You get plenty time to kind of uh, to study the character, to to try it out. You get about four weeks rehearsal usually. So you really know a character by the time you get there. Whereas on film, you shoot things out of sequence and, you know, you're you could be you could be doing a day on something. You could be doing five days on something spread out, but it's all consistent with a play. There's a roadmap. You, you do your rehearsals. And then it goes on and you do it every night and every night. And you, the people around you, you know them so well. And it's kind of interesting because radio is a bit like that because you do things consecutively. I love that. Like I find the other thing of the, doing things out of order is like saying, let's pretend you're 50 now. Oh, now you're 10. Oh, now you're 30. OK, you know, or yeah, the, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 